0: So I was I was I was rushing to get home because we have a we have a fancy guest today. It's a fancy guest. I, I I put the memo out to wear a collared shirt today. Neither of us did it. Um, it was kind of a you know a, a thing like that. We're trying to trying to spice it up a little bit for the for the verified uh, checkmark guest that we have on. I said uh, he was going to wear a tux
1: actually. Yeah, Wait, he I'm say, yeah exactly.
0: I, yeah. I don't know. I'm yeah. glad he yeah. did. Yeah, I'm I'm glad I'm, I'm glad. A, we're all we're all just we're all just chilling. We're all just chilling. But yeah, I was like rushing home. And I was like, I want to make sure I'm here at home in time. Cause I w- I work in road construction. So it's like when when I when I make a time for a podcast, I'm like, let me just like throw it. Let me just try to make let me just try to make like this time sound safe. You know what I mean? And then like it's always cutting to like I'm always like doing like Keanu Reeves and speed. You know what I mean? Like on the bus. <laughs> like I just like, I'm not stopping. Everyone get out of my way. Yeah. yeah. Finally get home. And uh, and here we are.
2: Here we are. From the five to the six, we be in the mix. With that rare candy paint job on the whip.
3: I need food for the kids, money for the rent. Fuck a lockdown, baby, I can't do that shit. And I'll never vote, cause I'm fucking broke. And either way, I know the police ain't gonna leave me alone. On a plane, by the visit, Glenn Rock, need crypto. Told me I should bring the Glock with me. So I packed up my piece and I'm sliding. Cause we might get caught up in a riot. Middle finger Trump, middle finger Biden. Fuck a left, fuck a right in. You ride it, we let us see it, those rockin'. Ain't no politics, baby. We just talking. From the birds to the
2: bricks, we be in the mix with that rare candy paint job on the whip. Who you with? Our
0: guest is Max Blumenthal. How are you doing, man?
3: Good. Uh I, I didn't know this was gonna be uh there was gonna be a video component because I always listen to you guys just on uh Yeah. Uh, just on like whatever audio platform. So forgive me for the, for not being in my home studio. Oh, come on. No worries. Yeah. We, and well, you we, be, yeah. we did the whole rumble thing. Cause we
1: got, I think we were talking about Ivermectin and got banned from YouTube. Right. So it's, well, we didn't, we didn't
2: get so we
0: didn't get banned but I took so like they kind of said like okay instead of this like you you're like you can't say this 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 or this I'm like well okay that's like the mission statement for our show like you can't <laughs> yeah. do that so, so I, like so you get two more opportunities and then I yeah. and then so like I've kind of turned that into just like a sports channel the YouTube channel and then moved all this stuff into to Rumble which they don't they don't care they haven't said anything they just said no yeah. child pornography and I was like, all right cool like you know and then uh, then all of a sudden, uh i get an alert from an episode seven months ago because i didn't like take them off of youtube the old ones and they're just like yeah this one's gotta go too, and they like took that one off
3: because it and, had ivermectin you mentioned ivermectin
0: no so well the title of the episode is called <laughs> pfizer justice warriors which i shouldn't have called it that and, and in retrospect i <laughs> made it pretty easy on them but the other one the other episode was called dr sanjay Gulpta, so i was like you know that was that i, mean, I don't know I, I guess they Somebody, I think somebody tattled on us personally because those episodes don't have a lot of views. I don't. There's no but, way they found those.
3: As long as you don't talk about minor attracted people or maps, <laughs> there you go. YouTube's
0: yeah. okay with that, but not yeah. not Rumble. Yeah, yeah, Rumble. Rumble
3: Yo, a you guys,
1: because I have like you know nephews, not like little nephews in my family and shit, and not because of them. Necessarily, but have you? That man, it's a dark scene in that YouTube child section. You know what I mean? There's some weird like. They have these like yeah. AI bots that create these videos now. It's fucking weird, dude. And it's yeah, it's like don't like don't go down
3: that rabbit, you guys. It's just very depressing. And, yeah, uh, I have I have a kid, so yeah, know, yeah, I've seen I've seen that stuff. Like the algorithm yeah. takes you to some disturbing. It's co- it's called Cocoa Melon. Coco Melon. Yeah, it's called Coco Melon, it's and it's like Coco. there are like these uh, cartoons that feel AI generated. Yeah. The songs are really um, inane and idiotic, but after you listen to an hour of it, it like really messes your mind up.
1: Fuck yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's insane. Well, the ones I was seeing were like, you know, watch Spider Man and. The girl from Frozen do like butt stuff or what? It was like, what the <laughs> fuck, dude? I'm like, yeah, it's and it's like, it's <laughs> and we got, got like, kicked off YouTube. <laughs> yeah, that's what yeah. I'm saying. No, and it's it's got like 80 million views, and you're like, what the fuck is going on? And it, you you know they're pumping those, like they're 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 pushing that into every algorithm. But it's could yeah, you send man, the it's, link? It's dark. Yeah, yeah, oh, um, just for the yeah research yeah, purposes, but yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, but it's aimed at kids so anyway. Uh, but yeah, thanks for coming on. I uh, I watched your. Uh, who uh, who is it? Alfred Desayus
2: uh, interview. Yeah, yeah. And Thanks my first thought watching. was like,
1: why why are you coming on our show? <laughs> <Is> <laughs> that kind <guy even laughs> of awesome, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. he's a he knows he, he's yeah. I, I could you guys had an awesome conversation, and I could tell you respect him a lot. You know now that, yeah that was a lot of fun. Yeah, how was well, that for you? Yeah,
3: he's just another one of the actual experts who is so distinguished <laughs> and just so loaded with credentials. Who's been just abused, publicly abused for going against the grain mm-hmm. and you know interrupting the imperatives of Empire like I met him in the at the UN um, Human Rights Council. I was invited mm-hmm. along with my wife Anya Parampil, to speak about Venezuela we had been there to talk about the effects of sanctions and the information war deceptions and it was a breakout session so a lot of the kind of like non-aligned nations delegations came like a lot of the nations that have been abused by the u.s showed up um the the palestinian delegation um western sahara i mean it was impressive um and of course the venezuelan delegation the cubans etc and desires he showed up and just ripped to shreds the whole Uh, propaganda around sanctions actually putting pressure on the regime to reform and and, you know he had actually been the first UN official to do to be a rapporteur on sanctions and report on the insane damage that it was doing to the civilian population of Venezuela Mm -hmm. and uh, that kind of made him an enemy Mm. and uh, then he was going to another session on Palestine just running through the halls (laughs) and just going from one session to the next uh, as this just like leading expert on the law and international law and how people were how you know everyone's talking about oh Russia's invasion of Ukraine is illegal maybe mm-hmm. but international laws never applied to defend all of the people from the states or the the non-states like Palestine Western mm-hmm. Sahara that attended our talk so Desaius was their defender and So I I got back to D.C. I came out with a book called The Management of Savagery, which was mostly about the dirty war in Syria. But, you know, it's a whole history of the U.S. using jihadists, uh, you know, like extremist Islamists as proxies to undermine its geopolitical foes you know, from Afghanistan starting in 1979 to Syria, the whole Syrian dirty war project where the U S was literally arming Al Qaeda. The CIA was arming Al Qaeda yeah. openly. And the book really upset some powerful people in Washington, the Syrian American lobby who are like the Syrian version of the, you know, the Cuban Americans in Miami who are just hell bent on regime change. You want to bomb this shit out of their own country. Mm-hmm. They were really upset with this, the anarchists, you know, they love regime change. They're like, I call them the anarcho neocons. Yeah. They they just know, <laughs> They 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 yes. they say that they hate the state but they really love the st- the the state department. And <laughs> they're like the left yeah. wing of the state department. And so they were really into canceling me along with every other like all the blue check foreign policy hacks. So they all got together and did this giant campaign against the main bookstore in DC which is called Politics and Prose. And oh, in yeah. Politics Politics and prose is literally right next door to Comet Ping Pong.
0: Oh. My favorite pizza place.
2: It's like the elite
3: liberal bookstore. Like the the liberal bookstore where like Samantha Power was going to speak a few days after me. I mean, Condoleezza Rice drops books there. Like every elite political figure in Washington, they will premiere their books there. And some, you know, they've hosted me before on previous books, including a book about you know, Israel's assault on Gaza, which I covered in 2014. But this time, they were bombarded with phone calls, and emails and threats. And so I got on the phone with their owner. And he was obviously, you know, liberal brain character who is easily uh, manipulated into believing that I was some kind of Holocaust denier who wanted to eat Syrian babies alive. And he brought up this one thing that particularly disturbed him, which was that uh, I had done a talk with Alfred Desias, Uh, oh, and he said he's a neo-Nazi. Hmm. Uh, I was like, what the, f- what is this? Shit? Like, do you know who Alfred Desaius is? Yeah. Uh, and I remember, you know, he mentioned it in our talk, like in the mid seventies, I think Desaias had done a kind of groundbreaking paper that attracted a lot of interest in, in West Germany. Uh, things were actually more open at, the, at that time before the kind of transatlantic relationship developed, and people were going through this process of reexamining World War II. How are they going to grapple with the ghosts of the past? And his paper was on US uh, torture and war crimes committed against captive German soldiers, which was something that was forbidden wow. to talk about. And apparently the Wehrmacht had maintained a human rights division, if you can believe it, wow. uh, where they were, they were tracking human rights violations against their own soldiers. So he was using their archives to do this piece. And of course, since then, he's advocated a, on behalf of the most oppressed people in the world, almost yeah. all of them brown and black. And yeah. he was pigeonholed as an, all, because he did that, because he advocated for the Venezuelan people or the Palestinian people, they brought out this paper from his past and painted him as a Nazi and then it was used to suspend my talk my talk was suspended somebody smashed the windows of this bookstore the day after my talk was suspended
2: wow uh, and we had to hold it in oh.
3: another location because of this this whole campaign uh, and so i you know desaius was, was part of that and we talked in our interview with me and desaius about all of the international relations scholars like uh, john mearsheimer or, or Stephen Cohen, who was the leading expert on Russia in the US, huh. uh, and how pi- they were just pillory, just absolutely destroyed for not taking the you know, war with Russia. Putin is a psychopath. We must destroy Russia and do expand NATO, put wet, you know, dual-use missile systems on their border. It's the only way to deal with this state. For going against that they were pilloried but the most interesting thing is that if you look at these scholars all of them were warning that this war would take place unless mm. nato pulled out. every single one of
2: them
3: Yeah, shimer said that we put ukraine on a primrose path to war and he was 100 right he said that in 2015. yeah was, when was this all happening around what's the time frame for well
0: according like i mean according to like because for me i haven't been plugged into that kind of stuff but like yeah. i even i knew there was some tension there and like but like you know all the liberal outlets will be like overnight. Putin lost his mind. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. and, 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 yeah. <laughs> you will not believe it. Breaking news. Little Sports Center sound like. Yes. like it's, 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 it, no, it's insane. Like so. Like yeah, exactly. How long has this been brewing for? Like it's been that long. Like like yeah, it's it's crazy.
3: Well, I mean, it's been brewing since the end of the Cold War, because mm. G- George H. W. Bush's Secretary of State Jim Baker cut a deal with Mikhail Gorbachev. Mm -hmm. who believed that the U.S. could be an honest broker and help him. Well, first, he believed they could help him reform into a social democracy. And then and he believed also that this gentleman's deal would mean that NATO would not expand beyond Germany, which meant that countries east of Germany would not be turned into hostile bases for U.S. aggression with weapons systems pointed at russia which would be significantly weakened after it lost its strategic depth because the soviet union was he was giving up the whole soviet union mm-hmm. well the satellite states and gorbachev thought oh it's untenable we just lost afghanistan we're in an oil crisis like oil prices are down our population is in lines long bread lines they're restive you know they see what's going on on the other side of the wall and they want to be treated like uh, you know, they want that, they want supermarkets. So uh-huh. he did this. He never got it in writing. And it's like the the Sioux tribes with the Black Hills Treaty or so many other Native American Indian tribes often never got their agreement in writing. And even when they did the Black Hills Treaty, it was just completely violated. I guess Gorbachev didn't know that history. He was just like the history's ultimate cuck. He's one of the most hated men in Russia today. <laughs> yeah. And then the U.S. just looted Russia in the '90s. It put Russia under neoliberal management. Just looted every everybody's pension. Mm-hmm. Uh, something like three percent of the entire population died. Um, three to five million deaths. Uh, the the lifespan of the average lifespan went down by like over five years. People just drank themselves yeah. to death and died in the gutter. And NATO expanded. The U.S. was like, "Well, you didn't put it in writing, buddy." So I heard the
1: craziest that like the largest decrease in pop in life expectancy, uh, besides war and famine and stuff, was in Russia during that time in in like human history, basically, which is insane, right? Yeah, I never knew yeah. that. Yeah. That's crazy.
3: Well, and there's a reason we don't know it. I mean, go back and look at US media at that time. It's like Yeltsin was the guy presiding over it. Yeltsin was basically a CIA asset, a a complete, like a bad alcoholic. He wasn't like a functional alcoholic who could really like, you know, he, he just, he could not manage his shit. Like a lot of people, a lot of, 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 of leaders, like they can use alcohol to actually um break bread with the enemies and right. you know have late yeah. night sessions with intellectuals and artists mm-hmm. and like it enriches them Yeltsin was easily manipulated by the US cuz he was just his brain was like of just like a fermented potato. Mm-hmm. By the time the U.S. That stole the election, out. yeah, <laughs> um, and he was just like, you know, Chechnya was happening. The CIA was sending jihadists through the rat line into Chechnya. Russia was just being bled every which way. The Russian army was like a shadow of its former self. It was a disaster, and then and NATO was just expanding as much as it could, uh, putting, as I said, weapon systems and troops closer and closer. To Russia, and if you look at the U.S. media at the time, they were celebrating this miracle taking place in Russia—the free market miracle—while Russians were just dying. This is what this is like. One of the biggest crimes of the 20th century. It's as wow. I would think. I think it's as big a crime as Vietnam, wow. uh, considering how many people just died excess deaths.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
3: I think lockdowns are ac- ac- across the world, particularly in the global south are on that level as well yep. uh, but we don't we just don't think of it as a crime because not only because it's you know justified as a public health measure but because we don't understand excess deaths the concept of people just dying when their economy is completely shut off but that's what's happened that's what happened there they had a heroin crisis all the heroin from afghanistan came in and that led to an aids crisis um they had never i mean just everything happening at once so that all leads to putin yeah Putin comes in and the West is doing all specifically the CIA is doing all these color revolutions in Georgia and, mm. um, Azerbaijan, or, sorry, uh, Georgia. And, uh, they did the, the, they all have like different colors. Um, you know, uh, it's Shevard Natsi was the, was the president of Georgia and he was friendly with the U S administration, but he wasn't, he was too nationalistic, wanted to hold on to too much. So they removed him with this clown, uh, Mikhail Saakashvili, who was also a CIA asset, was completely managed by the US. Like he always had this uh, guy, this US intelligence officer named Bruce Jackson wh- whispering in his ear. He was just telling him what to say. The guy was like just a, a literal puppet almost. And you have, you know, Poland coming into the NATO fray, becoming basically a, a US military base uh, as it's. As it, you know, it was also basically looted. The Czech Republic, I mean, people had they lost everything there. You, you, all of the Baltic states become like basically bases for NATO operations, and Russia finds itself surrounded by the time Putin comes in. Ukraine uh, also was, you know, coming under de facto NATO management to some degree. And they had the Orange Revolution there, and this oligarch named Boris Barasovsky, this Russian oligarch, funded the whole thing. And Barasovsky had actually blessed Putin when he came in; he was like the kingmaker. This crooked oh. oligarch who um, ultimately, you know, was so corrupt, he fled to Israel, where a lot of Russian oligarchs live now. And they all thought, you know, in the Wall Street Journal, was like, "Putin's a great guy; he's going to be just like Yeltsin. Everything's going to be great. We're just going to oh, keep wow. this whole project going." Because no. Putin came out of that same milieu. In St. Petersburg, he was like the deputy mayor, and the mayor was just this full scale capitalist who, you know, was handing the city over to the free market. So they thought, why would Putin do anything different? He was also a former KGB agent in the Dresden office of the KGB who, you know, turned out the lights on the Soviet Union there. He saw like his entire country just disappear overnight. And it was just as tragic for him as it was for most of russians who we never hear from Mm. and he was a nationalist uh nationalism threatens the us when it comes from a place like russia venezuela china cuba and that's really you know you hear about communism or socialism or whatever at the end of the day the leaders of these countries are nationalists Mm -hmm. and they want to protect their sovereignty and their people and that's what putin was so you know he starts cracking down on the oligarchs to some degree um Uh, um, there's this guy Mikhail Khodorkovsky from Yukos Oil he was like just so criminally corrupt and wanted to just shaft the state the way Barasovsky had just keep the looting going Putin put him on trial put him in a cage he like did this whole big PR extravaganza with like the biggest most crooked corrupt oligarch in a cage on TV and they sentenced him I think he got like 10 years. The The west Western media painted it as like, uh, you know, Sacco and Vanzetti or something. It was like this, the worst thing that could ever be done. Uh, he's abusing this har- this wonderful guy. So Hardarkovsky uh, eventually leaves and him and his son fund the opposition to Putin working, you know, hand in glove with US intelligence. There's a film about him called like Mr. K or something that that came out on Netflix that paints him as this like, you know, a heroic opposition leader. Um, but that was a statement Putin yeah. was making to the oligarchs, which is like, we are this, you're going to work with the state or you're going to go to jail. Uh, he yeah. obviously didn't forbid oligarchs or billionaires or whatever, but he's just like, you need to give, give, you know, you're under my control. You're under the control of the Kremlin. He, he's going to strengthen the Kremlin. 2007, he appears at the Munich security conference, um, which, you know, is a generally a neocon forum. Uh, you know, it's a forum a lot of leaders get, get together there, but it's basically, you know, where NATO leaders say their peace. And Putin gets up with John McCain, neocon number one, warmonger number one, sitting in the front row next to Joe Lieberman, his buddy. All right. And Putin says, Enough is enough. You went to Iraq, you violated a country's sovereignty. You destabilize an entire region. You continue to do this and we are not going to take it anymore. Uh, We are going to stand up for sovereignty of states. Uh, And that shook the US foreign policy establishment. That was kind of the big break. And then the following year, Saakashvili, who I was talking about before, the guy installed in Georgia by the US Mm -hmm. as their little puppet, he invades, on August seventh, I believe, uh, South Ossetia, which is a majority Russian-speaking region that was disputed uh, between Georgia and Russia, and he thought he had the green light from the U.S. The following day, and you know, you can compare South Ossetia to the independent republics, the separatist republics in eastern Ukraine. Like this is a very good way of understanding what's happening now. So he goes in there with his troops thinks he can do it, thinks he has the backing of the U S and then Putin comes in like hours later, uh, or the Russian army comes in hours later. Uh, I don't know if the U S expected it and just wipes out his military completely. There's footage of Sakashvili on TV. He's shaken by what had happened and he's actually chewing on his tie. He's eating his tie. Wow. He was completely discredited wow. and the U S actually abandoned him after this. He wound up becoming a you know, stripped of his nationality in Georgia, and uh, became a legislator in Ukraine because it was like the next, uh, you know, next project. So uh, that was another huge breaking point where the West said, like, we can't take this guy's actually defending his frontiers. Like, we want to control the planet. I mean, and there was a doctrine that the U.S. was operating under from the uh, second Bush administration on. Every administration after 9-11 is operated under this doctrine. And it's just the, it, 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 it's the doctrine of, to, um, I don't know what to call it, total US hegemony, but it was spelled out in a paper mm-hmm. called the Project for a New American Century, which was signed by, you all know about this probably, it was signed by like mostly neocons, some hardline Democrats, Um, and they called the, they called the article that spelled out their doctrine, benevolent hegemony, that the U (laughs) S will be a benevolent dictator of the world. And the two authors of this one, one was Bill Kristol.
2: Oh yeah. yeah.
3: You know who he is. Oh yeah. (laughs) He's been embraced by the Democrats, but he was a Republican at the time, big supporter of the. George W. Bush. He went where
0: the wind where the wind blew. Like you know, what I mean, he, yeah. he knew he knew where to go.
3: Well, he you know the neocons were always Democrats, but they 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 are they Trotskyists kind of, and so like what yeah. Trotskyists do, they do entryism. Like they they infest political movements, they burrow from within mm-hmm. and kind of take them over,
2: right? Uh, and Ooh.
3: start their little committees, and they raise their little funds, and then they take over into the vanguard. So that's what yeah. they did. In the, in the Bush administration, they got the, the, the civilians in the Pentagon, you know, Wolfowitz and Richard Pearl and these characters, Douglas Fyfe. Uh, but now then they they went and infested the Democratic Party because they realized the Democrats are actually the real war party, like after Trump came along and kind of did his America first thing. So you have Bill Kristol. And then the other guy who I think a lot of people don't know, but who's really significant is another neocon named Robert Kagan, Bob Kagan. Bob Kagan... Advised George W. Bush, Mitt Romney, and then Hillary Clinton. He fundraised for Hillary Clinton. So again, he just burrows yeah, from within. Yeah, yeah. And his wife, Victoria Newland, right now is the top State Department official presiding over Ukraine Russia policy. And now who? Fuck. Uh, what, oh now God. who is she? Who is Victoria Newland? Um, you know she. Ran a, uh, She was a founder of a, uh, dem- a, Democrat, a war-mongering Democrat think tank in Washington called the Center for New American Security, fund- funded by the arms industry. She worked with Tony Blinken, the Secretary of State, and a who's who of foreign policy advisors at this corrupt little um, consulting cartel called West Exec Advisors, where they would use all the connections they made when they were in the Obama administration to hump in contracts for like, um, Silicon Valley firms or, uh, firms like they would help firms get, uh, you know, into Saudi Arabia's market. They're completely corrupt. And Victoria Newland in 2014 was the key figure presiding over the coup in Ukraine that set the stage for this war. Hmm. She, there's a phone call, everyone watching this, just look up Victoria Newland phone call on YouTube. Uh, yeah, Ukraine, phone call Ukraine. And I like the, Russians, the Russian intelligence had tapped her phone and they leaked the details of it. And you can hear her and the US ambassador to Kiev at the time, Jeffrey Piat, Pyatt, it's spelled P Y A T T. They were just dis- deciding who would be in the next Ukrainian government after the coup took place, which the US uh-huh. had funded. Victoria Nuland was seen like uh, in 2012. There's video of this too online boasting that the US had contributed 7 billion dollars to the Ukrainian opposition since the end of the Cold War uh, and she's at an exxonmobil sponsored event. <laughs> so she she was like handing out cookies on Maidan Square in Kiev when people were protesting for a change and for regime change and she was like handing out cookies to literal neo-Nazis who were the street muscle as well as, you know, young liberals who just wanted a better future. So 2014 is the real turning point. The Obama administration, you've got the neocons in there. The Arab Spring, it happened. So Obama toppled all these other governments. The US is just like, we're going to keep toppling everything. Uh And Newland comes in. She's like on the Maidan. John McCain comes to the Maidan Square with the Democrat Chris Murphy from Connecticut. And they give speeches telling people like, topple this government. The government was elected. It was democratically elected. It was a democratically elected government run by a guy named Viktor Yanukovych, and they call him pro-Russian, Yanukovych. He wasn't necessarily pro-Russian, but he did get, he had the support of the population of Ukraine, which is Russian speaking. And one third of Ukrainians or so identify with Russia are mainly Russian speaking and are terrified of the government that's been in Kiev since 2014. Yanukovych represented them, but he won with a majority. He was a corrupt leader, for no doubt. But basically, how he got defined as pro-Russian was that the Europeans came to him with a deal along with the IMF called the European Economic Association Agreement, and it was just austerity. All of, it was like what happened yeah. to Russia in the '90s. They're like, we're going to give you aid, but you have to loot the coffers of your, you know, loot the pensions, just hand over all the state assets and put in, you know, cut social services. And then Russia countered with another deal. They said, "We're your neighbors. We're right next door. We're going to give you very cheap gas to heat your, to heat in the winter. We're going to lower tariffs. We're going to send you grain, and we are going to like tighten this bond between these." two countries that were historically linked and Yanukovych said well i'm going to go with the better deal and then overnight the protesters the protest just erupted in maidan square the central square in kiev oh. do you th- do you think the protesters really were care- cared about the association economic okay. association agreement or an imf deal no they were being just flooded with propaganda through new media mm-hmm. stations that just like cropped up overnight like one yeah. station one of the key stations um, that helped launch the Maidan coup is called Romadsky. and it was launched with money from Pierre Omidyar
2: who mm. is the owner
3: of the Intercept,
2: intercept yeah yeah and
3: the intercept's like you know, what the fuck <laughs> what Omidyar Omidyar is a i as far as i can tell he's a us intelligence asset 100% and that like what that's why i'm so i I've always thought the intercept was so suspect it's like they're recruiting all these anti-establishment big time journalists and like, yeah. aside from Glenn Greenwald who left and kind of saw, yeah, after yeah, several years what it was, they've like disappeared a lot of them, and they disappeared the Snowden files. What the? That's so great. I've and only so heard there's his so many. Name. There's so many insane yeah. layers to this, but we yeah. got to stay on. do We got to just just stay focused. Yeah, 2014, yeah. 2014, this government comes in. They put some oligarch at the top named Yatsenyuk or something. Uh, he's a billionaire technocrat. But the neo Nazis are a real force because they, maybe ten, you know, they're ten percent of the electorate supports them, maybe less. But without them, they wouldn't have uh, been able to beat the shit out of the Berkut, the um, the, the, the 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 police that protected um, Yanukovych. Further, there was a massacre in Maidan Square of civilians; like fifty people were shot by snipers. That was a false flag. And those yeah. were, they were snipers he probably brought in from Georgia, but the, there were neo-Nazis involved in it, specifically the character who became the speaker of the Ukrainian Rada, the Ukrainian parliament, uh, Andre Perubi, who, you know, I've grilled him in Wash. He's been brought to Washington. He founded something called the Social National Party. Like, sounds like the National Socialist Party because it's inspired by it. He founded a literal Patriots neo-Nazi Patriots. militia called the Patriot of Ukraine and he's brought to Washington. But this guy was deeply involved in this whole scheme. Um, there's a professor named Ivan Karacharsky from University of Ottawa, who's broken the whole false flag operation down. But that's how they were able to be like, uh, Yanukovych is killing his own people. Mm. And they forced him into this deal where the police stood down. Uh, and then the neo-Nazis raided the presidential palace, nearly killed him and, basically drove him into exile and then they went and fought this war in the east where the majority of the russian population was after massacring over 50 russian speakers in a union hall in odessa which is another city with a lot of russian speakers they went to the east they formed the azov battalion which is the most militarily motivated fighting force in ukraine they're like they're the main force on the ground right now uh training civilians and um you know, fighting face-to-face with Russian soldiers. They are o- openly neo-Nazi. Their leader, Andrei Boletsky, said, we need to um, destroy the, um, the the Untermenschen and create a future for the white race. Uh, the, the, he called them the Semitic Unten- Untermenschen in a mm. 2010 essay. I mean, these guys are for real. They have the wolf's angle insignia on their uniforms that's a Nazi-inspired a symbol. And a lot of them have the Sonningrad, which is the black sun tattooed on their elbows. Mm. And, um, you know, you'll see it on their, you know, on, on, on various other, like signage and whatnot, but it's not just the, the, it's, it's what they, they believe in slaughtering Russian speakers. And the government has jailed the opposition leader who represents the Russian-speaking population, Viktor Medvedchuk? They have shuttered all of his TV stations. They just say, "Oh well, they're all Russian propaganda." They do not tolerate any opposition in Kiev. And you know, this is this is this guy Vladimir Zelensky, the TV comedian, who
2: mm-hmm. came
3: in on a platform of making peace with the Russian-speaking population in Donbas that was that had formed its own militias and was fighting. And he has completely surrendered to these fascist elements. And like when, you know, we hear the word fascist thrown around in the U S yeah. like whatever truckers or like guys in Hawaiian shirts, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, oh, yeah. <laughs> whoever, this is for real. I mean, these are people whose grandfathers collaborated directly with Nazi Germany to slaughter ethnic Poles, to slaughter Jews, to slaughter Russian speakers. And they're naming They've named stadiums and roads after Stepan Bandera, the leader of the main Nazi collaborationist force in World War II, the OUNB. They've named stadiums after um, and roads, and um, thrown up monuments to Roman Shukhevich, the leader of the uh, UPA, the Ukrainian partisan army that participated in so many um, pogroms. The Lviv pogrom. I mean, it was one of the worst pogroms of the war. These were the programs of bullets. You know, they weren't like just taking people off in trains. And it was, this is a Holocaust of bullets, sorry. They weren't just taking people off in trains and then like uh, exterminating them through industrial means. They were killing them one by one or in mass graves like at Babi Yar, which is outside Kiev. Mm. The road to Babi Yar was renamed under this government, Stepan Bandera Boulevard. Jesus after Christ. Bandera, like the key Nazi collaborator. Mm. And then after World War II, what did the US do, you know? operation paperclip and all these operations to bring yeah. them to the US to set up a Ukrainian nationalist lobby Miklos Lebed was a CIA asset who presided was involved I believe in the Lviv pogrom just a slaughterer of Jews on behalf of Nazi Germany and he had a uh, printing press set up for him by the CIA in New York City um, you know if you ever go to New York City and there, like go down to 2nd Avenue where the Ukrainian population is there's like a I'm not saying they're, they're Nazis or whatever, although maybe some of them sympathize with some of this. I, I don't know. But that's where his printing press was. And uh, I think it was called Prologue, I believe. But this whole history fascinated me after 2014, but it also frightened me because I saw where it was going. You got all these Nazis, and, and they're clear about what they want. Like they are clearly, mm. they clearly say we want to slaughter the Russian speakers in the Donbass, in Donetsk and Luhansk, which are these two republics that just declared independence that Russia recognized. We mm. want to balkanize Russia, like divide Russia into five countries and just weaken it and shatter it. We want nuclear weapons. Mm. And then we want we want to march on Moscow and kill the um, Muscovite judeo untermenschen like that's what they openly say they want. And then you got liberals in Washington who are like, yeah, we want to do that, some <laughs> form of that. So yeah. you're people that we're just willing to work with while we call the truckers, a bunch of Nazis.
1: So Exactly. You, yeah. So you're watching this in real time. Cause like I wasn't, I wasn't hip on Ukrainian, Russian politics in 2014 and now this whole thing happens and, you know, my whole thing with what's happening now is like I don't know what my take is I haven't done the research you know I don't know what's going on and you see everyone line up behind Ukraine and then you hear these murmurs of well they're like there's a huge percentage of them as neo-nazis right or whatever you're saying right but you were saying that one third I, I wanted to you said one third of the population was against in ukraine was was against what
3: like it, that's a that's a pretty large percentage of a population to be one third yeah. of the population at least are, they're like ethnic Russians. They okay, speak yeah. Russian in their homes yes, and yeah, yeah. they watch Russian media. Right, right, right. They watch RT. So they're they stressed out right
1: now, right? They, they're, 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 their feet are to the fire in this whole well, thing. Well, they've they,
3: been stressed out. I mean, yeah. that's what, what happened in 2014 is a war started in the East where most of them live. Okay. And they wanted to not be part of this insane state that had just been declared. Like their language was always an official language in Ukraine. And okay. the new government in Kiev said, no, Russian is not. We don't want it to be an official language. You are second yeah. class, fifth class citizens. We hate you. We yeah. want to show you that we hate you. We want to weaken the Russian Orthodox Church where you pray. They were, in so many ways, they were just told that they were not part of Ukraine. But at the same time, that government did not want to part with that land that they were on. Because they wanted to exploit it. And so they wouldn't allow them to vote in elections. They would and these these Luhansk and Donetsk, Luhansk and Donetsk. It's hard to say if you're an English speaker. (laughs) They are basically socialist breakaway republics that organize their own people's fighting force. Uh and not socialist in the way that, like, the DSA and like Bernie people mm. are socialist, they're like they're pretty what hardcore. You ask you? Yeah. yeah, what is yeah. that? I don't, the yeah. I don't know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, like they are not like d- 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 Well, I'll get into that later. I mean, I actually, I'll get into that in a second. <laughs> but basically, oh, they, they took a stand. And they died in large numbers. Yeah, uh, they they didn't they didn't have like a lot of organization in the beginning, but they did mobilize into a very potent fighting force. Yes, Russia did support them, but Russia was not there. These are Ukrainians fighting Ukrainians, whose rights have been stripped away. And most of the deaths of like fourteen thousand people have died in hideous ways. Right. Um, you know, there were there were reports of um, mobile mortuaries, like mobile body disposal brigades to hide the deaths uh, from uh, international monitors, that just uh, people being shelled in their homes, so many people losing limbs, but 14,000 have died since 2014. And according to the UN, since 2017, over 80% of those deaths have been on the ethnic Russian or Russian speaking side. So you have this giant human rights crime happening and a war happening. With uh, people suffering who are basically stateless, uh, who are also, their leadership is saying, We are socialists. Uh, they're fighting just fighting for their rights, I would, and, but they're aligned with Russia. So they, there's no solidarity from the DSA for them. There's no solidarity from US socialists for them.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: They're completely kept out of US media. They're suffering the killing of them and their children, the shelling completely ignored. And, and we we only hear about them as just kind of like Russian separatists. So most Americans don't even know they're Ukrainian. And that really is part of the reason that Russia intervened in Ukraine was that the Ukrainian military had was escalating against that population. And I know because I interviewed an American who was fighting with them from Texas, um, I can connect you with him. He's a fascinating figure. His name is Russell Bentley. Uh, you know, Check out our yeah. interviews with him at the gray zone. But uh, okay. yeah, he told me what was happening days before the Russian intervention. He, mm. said, he said, there's gonna be a huge war. They're shelling us now with a uh, grad rockets. This hasn't happened. Like a bunch of people were killed last night and uh, Putin's gonna go in and he's gonna denazify Ukraine. And I was like, what are you talking about? Like, this is like, I haven't heard this. And he was right so Damn. that's just some more context for understanding and i mean again it's like it's not your fault if you don't know all these details partly because i don't have a real job where i like work on <laughs> roads or whatever like this is my yeah job. <laughs> i used to i mean i, I did work real jobs contrary can't wait
0: to tell the guys at work tomorrow yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. guys just wait yeah
3: yeah well, you, you just learn about ukrainian neo-nazis and you can quit So man,
1: what is going on with the, with the propaganda in the U S regarding this? Like, that's like, you know, first of all, that was amazing. Like I've, I've learned so much already. Uh, yeah, I feel I got some ammo now to kind of mm -hmm. of shell around. Right. Do you feel the same? Yeah, I think. Yeah, I know I do. I,
0: I I was just, I was just wondering too, how does like, for, cause what what, what really kind of chills me to the core, even with the little knowledge I had, you know, up until 40 minutes ago of, of, uh of, of all this stuff was like, oh, where does like Russiagate fit in on just manufacturing consent, not to use a, you know, a certain guy's term there, but, uh, <laughs> in, in, uh, in, uh, like, where does Russiagate fit in? Because I mean, it's gotta be, it was open season on Putin, right? All you had to do was say it was Putin and, and the entire nation okay. for the most part is like, let's do it, you know, or yeah. let's, let's, let's save Ukraine. And then all of a sudden the same exact people, and we're going to talk COVID in a second, but the same exact people who were, just psychos about covid who wanted you to die in your house wanted you to die of a drug overdose excess deaths all that kind of stuff those people just out of nowhere dropped covid like the toy story meme where andy's dropping the toy when he sees buzz Lightyear. it's the exact same thing yeah they line up and they're just like well RussiaGate that was drilled into my brain um now covid it seems to be dying down a little bit let's move on to this like I don't. I I feel like it's lazy for me to say that. Oh man, like whatever the libs do, I'm just going to do the other the other thing. But like, I don't even think I'm wrong if I do. That's the sad part. Like, (laughs) it's it's the sad part. So like, where does the Russiagate you know thing go in uh, on all this? Like, how how um, how uh, do you have any facts on that? I guess.
3: Have you seen the meme that's going around where it's like I'm for the thing, the current yeah. thing? Yeah, oh, I yeah. love
0: that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs>
3: like there's so much meaning in that. It really spoke to me. Whether yeah. it's COVID or Russia Gate, every you no know, for the rest of our lives, and <laughs> it, really since 9-11, But I think Russia Gate was a real turning point, and and the Trump era. Sure, there's a there's a thing. What do we mean by the thing? We mean a, a, what the historian and journalist um Peter Dale Scott called a deep political event mm-hmm. and it's when a political event o- occurs and is presented to the public in a way that allows elite forces and malign forces to manipulate them in o- in order to achieve an ulterior objective like the l- l- let's look at 9 what is the Patriot Act? How did that come out like the day after 9-11? Did
2: yeah. someone just sit down
3: and write thousands of pages and be like brruh, we're gonna, yeah. search and seizure? We're just gonna do this. no, it was already there, just sitting there. Right. They were waiting for a deep political event in mm. order to get their agenda through, which was the consolidation of a massive security state. And all of that was put together by something called the Free Commission, named after the FBI director, who is this real law and order hardliner under Bill Clinton, Louis Free. So they just put it all together and then it sat there. Gate, it was the same thing. Like there were just, there, there were elements, the, the neoconservatives, the US, you, you know, US intelligence and national security state apparatus, sort of that had partly been constructed out of 9-11, um, but you know, was looking for a new cold war the the Pentagon wanted to justify its budget, and then in comes the president, Trump, who's like erratic. He threatens the establishment. Uh-huh. You know, he's not down with NATO. He humiliated the 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 great white neocon hope Jeb Bush and his family on the <laughs> debate stage. I mean, he kind of he was hip to the whole game in a way he didn't even understand. He was like, I remember in the first Republican debate, he was like, I donated to all of you. I donated yeah. to – because they were like uh, Marco Rubio, little Marco, said, uh, you donated to Hillary Clinton. He said, I donated to everyone on this stage. I did it because you buy influence in America. Like that shocked the yeah. elites. So they're like, we need to do something to screw him over. Everyone had a reason, but the, yeah. but the people who I think were really driving the agenda, they just wanted to use Trump to get at Putin and Russia because Russia was a counterweight to US benevolent hegemony because putin had done all the things i said he was starting to assert himself and you have china there as well um and so the the hillary clinton dead enders came up with russia gate as a way of embarrassing trump and there be, there was this convergence of interests that fueled this hysteria and generated a deep political event event around the hacking of the dnc remember Oh, yeah. and, and the Podesta emails, and we still don't know actually who is responsible for that. I mean, there's a theory that it may have been a leak um, and not a hack. Uh-huh. Mm. I don't want to get into that, but no, no. Yeah. Yeah, I actually crazy, I do, do want to get into it. I mean, look, <laughs> I, I can't say I welcome anytime. <laughs> I, yeah. I can't say I believe in the whole Seth Rich theory, but it's mm-hmm. very weird that a DNC insider mm. was killed in such a, a suspicious way yeah. um look mm-hmm. l- aside from that it happened mm-hmm. that this that this, this embarrassing information came out about Hillary's campaign and that became the basis for linking Trump and Putin and convincing a large portion of America's population the most suggestible portion the easy, the most easily psyoped portion of the population that the president was controlled by Russia and that therefore Vladimir Putin controlled America and that every bad thing that happened under Donald Trump or anything that scared them, like Charlottesville, Mm -hmm. was actually Putin's fault, which was Uh like the orgasmic wet dream fantasy of every CIA spook like John Brennan, who was driving this whole agenda, former CIA director. So, So who was that PSYOP population? The most educated most affluent, most erudite, most enlightened part of the population was the most easily psyoped because they're the most tuned in to the New York Times, NPR, Washington Post, New Yorker. And they, yeah. it all became this psychotic feedback loop of propaganda. And you know, you have, let's say you're a baby boomer you grew up leaving in the New York Times and the Washington Post. Uh, Washington Post, they, you know, Bob Woodward was there and he broke uh, Watergate. And so they're telling you, this is worse than Watergate and Carl Bernstein's on TV telling you, yeah, this is, we got to go get Trump. This is about, this is crazier yeah. than the story that I broke. And all the baby boomers, the liberal boomers, they all believe if the Washington Post and Carl Bernstein are saying it, it has to be true. We trust yeah. them. But the people who didn't trust it you know those are the people like listening to joe rogan now they're even like the the normies who are like i'm an independent or yeah, the yeah. Tr- or the trumpers they were completely like shunted aside and nobody listened to them but they weren't buying into it and so oh. there's this whole portion of the population that becomes actually a threat to the national security state um that's where january 6 comes in oh. Um, because then that they rear their ugly head on January six as the insurrectionists, and you know maybe Russia's behind it, uh-huh. but they're they people who are following a completely different line of media, um, QAnon. Like, yeah, you know, that's that's what they're into. They're into QAnon, um, so we need to regulate that. That that population becomes the target of the national security state after Russia Gate kind of dies out, yeah. and that be- provides the bridge from Russiagate to the COVID hysteria. Because if you remember, I mean, this is my impression. The COVID hysteria didn't, the COVIDian narrative, it didn't really come in until the vaccine mandates came in. During the lockdowns, it was like, we're all in this together. Bang your pots and pans. Yeah. It was the vaccine that, really divided everyone became like the partisan dividing line and it was deliberate because it's about further fracturing the 99 percent between they created a new category the unvaccinated who are the people who won't listen to the new york, new york times and the washington post and maybe they're into q and the vaccinated who are the compliant ones who are you know more educated and uh, they're yeah. aspirational uh-huh. um <laughs> and so all of like it, it it's it's it just becomes this this Sort of pipeline of deep political propaganda from one event to the next that drives a portion of the population that I think has the most cultural influence, definitely in the U.S. Completely sure. batshit, mm-hmm. insane, and they needed. And something else was going to come along. I mean, the COVID thing—you know—they kept it going for way longer than I expected.
0: Yeah. Oh it my god. It was pretty impressive. Yeah. yeah. I wanted to. Hey. I wanted to. Oh, sorry, sorry. I wanted to I just wanted to ask you real fast, um, because some. Uh, I I think it would be doing our our listeners a bit of a disservice if I didn't. But there is a uh, a lot of people who have been. You know, I, we we've have a very small fan base, but there's a few people who have just been like on this. You know what I mean? On this yeah, from yeah. since the beginning. And you know, I don't know if you've seen some of the sentiment online, but a lot of the dissident, you know, left media. I guess if that's what I want to call it. A lot of them, you know, are kind of left a sour taste in some of the um the truthers mouths by being maybe a little bit late on it. Um I've heard your name tossed in there. I don't I don't know your genesis of like covid truthing or anything like that, but um like do you sympathize maybe with some of these people that maybe some of the media class could have stepped in during school lockdowns at the beginning, remote virtual learning that we still have masks in schools and things. Do you do you feel like maybe the media was a little bit late on that or or do you feel like Having a bigger platform, it is tougher to speak out, you know.
3: Well, I'm not. I I wouldn't identify with the media class. uh, Well, the the media never. You know what I mean? though. Yeah, yeah. The media class never. The media class went in the other direction. They were the enforcers. Um, but from my point of view, yeah, I came in. I came in um, when the mandates were announced.
1: Okay,
0: that's for the the vaccine. I decided.
3: yeah, Yeah, I decided to speak out. Cause I just decided it was just completely unethical and wrong yeah. and it was going to be destructive and, um, that it was going to lead to, I mean, I saw it leading to something like the trucker convoy and then uh-huh. like a new, a new, uh, security crackdown. And, um, so I spoke out, sh- I should have spoken out before, but there were a lot of reasons why I didn't. Um, so like w- when I did start speaking out, I had someone on who was one of the first kind of dissident voices on my mm-hmm. show at Rockfin, C.J. Hopkins, oh,
2: yeah. just
3: as a way of saying like I'm going to platform these people, right, uh, and use the large platform I have that they don't have to give them a voice. Um, and I can't, I can't, I can't do it at YouTube. Yeah, no,
0: no, you can't. <laughs> you
3: know. So I just started this live stream at Rockfin. So that's what I've been doing week in and week out there. Yeah. Um, but I never, I I didn't really like switch sides. Like I never believed in it. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe I went like a week or so where I was like, okay, let me see if this is Ebola or not. Right. And then I just kind of threw in the towel and was like the masks and like wearing some cloth schmata on my face is going to stop the spread. That's ridiculous. The lockdowns were obviously absurd. And what I did was, you know, because at the gray zone, it wasn't just me like some independent voice like we were a group of reporters i was the editor who founded it i was overseeing the operation but i was working with other people and we had this mission of kind of our main bag was anti-imperialism so we went to bolivia to cover an election that reversed a coup uh we went uh, to venezuela repeatedly because Venezuela was the target of a really ferocious regime change attempt by the Trump administration. And I think we made a huge impact there. And I was also able to see people like in the tropical region of Cochabamba, who are just living life normally and treating COVID with natural herbs um, and talk to them. And it helped me kind of understand COVID in a different light. But I didn't speak out about the lockdowns. And honestly, like, if I had been in Europe, I might've seen it differently because they were much harsher there or Australia. Um, and then the other factor was that, you know, you all, I, I've, I've listened to your, your show. I'm a fan and you know, it's, it's therapeutic for me to listen. Cause you talk about having dipped your toe in the left or immersed yourself briefly in the left. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like in the deep end. Or so, yeah, am yeah, the, yeah, I probably, I still am like hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. And the left had taken this, demented position <laughs> yeah that uh <laughs> yeah. that is that, that that covid restrictions would bring about I mean, this is actually what a lot of them thought. And they've said this, the like COVID restrictions would help bring about the basis for communism. Yeah. Or socialism. yeah. yeah.
0: They thought the, the original lockdown was a general strike. They uh-huh. thought it was a general strike that would, they would withhold their labor labor. I'm not going back to work until capitalism's over. And um, then that, that they had to, they had an, an irrational fear of the virus. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to knock any regular civilian down for just being scared of COVID. That's, that's yeah, your, yeah, that, yeah. your decision, but supporting draconian measures that did lead to these excess deaths as you alluded to in russia and stuff but like it led to that here in our own backyards and now yeah. it's do you see excess deaths happening no there's no bombs going off there's no uh you know shrapnel and like stuff like that and all these cra- crazy things but at the end of the day they were teasing covid as though there were going to be mass graves underneath turnpikes in like the east coast yeah. and stuff so they they were alert- alluding to that too and um and that and that's kind of what i tell people uh in that sense too where they'll you know there's people that'll say like why can't people see like what you guys have been saying? I'm like, you know what? I think a lot of them do like, but some of these people have huge platforms and it is their livelihood. And I'm not, not talking about you. I just mean in general, people with big platforms that have a lot more scrutiny than us. Like for the longest time, when we were first talking about, covid being you know maybe not what what's being cracked up to be we had like 60 listeners like, yeah. if that, like, like <laughs> yeah, i don't know. I might have been j- yeah. being generous there like it's like i did the, the idea that one of them is going to dox me and get rid of my job my probability wasn't very high so like mm-hmm. i understand why that happens but i do feel that i did feel the need to at least get an answer on that because like there are some people who are like no man like if you weren't if you weren't on this March 14th of 2020, like <laughs> I, you're a Fed, you know what I'm saying? I'm yeah. like, I, Fed is a word I don't throw around like that. I just, well, and, I don't know. Yeah. 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 And you and publish, you published, uh, I, if I'm, get, get me wrong, our, our friend Jeremy LaFredo, I mean, you're right. a, a brilliant piece of Jeremy LaFredo, who I think is one of the best at, at just actual, like, you know, who, who the spooks are, who, who these people are. Um, yeah. and, and there was a piece in there talking about, uh, vaccine passport technology and how oppressive that it is and stuff. And that's not something that you put out there you know if you're scared you know i mean if you, and if you are submerged in leftism in the waters of leftism that is something that i've respected and that was when you popped on my radar when we had talked to jeremy and i was like man yes. this is cool like this is, like this is cool
1: also i gotta say what got me back on your radar because i've known you for a little while but what got me back on your radar was the absolutely electric jimmy door max blumenthal Talking shit about Noam Chomsky, a vaccine <laughs> apartheid video. I love. That. I will. I listened to it like four times. I think it's so great. Well, I blew that shit up because uh, yeah, dude. I come
3: on. Chomsky, I heard Chomsky was was saying something, and I found the video, and then I blew it up on Twitter. Mm-hmm. And you know that was that was the period. What
1: was that? That's so crazy. That dude. was when there
3: was the official campaign, the manufacturing camp consent campaign to demonize the unvaccinated and call for their deaths Mm -hmm. and Chomsky was participating in it. So I I just thought, you know, I'm going to face a crazy backlash for this, but I can make a difference here with, with, you know, my platform and what I've done and what I want to do is just throw myself in there, take all the hits I can and break the left consensus on this issue. And I feel like with Jimmy Dore, me and Jimmy, you know, Jimmy wasn't always the way that he is now where he's completely mm-hmm. red-pilled. I mean, yeah. he's, if it wasn't for him, it wouldn't, this wouldn't have happened. Uh, the cons- I don't think the consensus would have broken in the same way. Yeah. Um, and he had been injured by the Moderna vaccine, like so yeah. many people I know. And, and, I, uh, I, I, and you know, what shocks me is that I know a bunch of people on the lockdown left who were injured by the Moderna vaccine in crazy ways, yep. and they just saw family it as well. Yeah, a lot. Everyone yeah. knows the same
2: One yeah. yeah. They mm-hmm.
3: they saw it as part of like it's it's almost like they saw it as part of this ritual, like military like sacrifice. Yeah. Yeah. Battle
0: scar. I'm a veteran type thing. Yeah, it was uh, weird. Yeah.
3: Um. Uh. They told me in person, and I would just be like, "Well, why won't you?" Yeah. say anything and like they will get kicked out of their socialist organization they will lose their <laughs> status among the followers oh no. of their podcast like whatever the left <laughs> is t- just like if you think like covid is tyrannical like take the tyranny and then just like bottle it up and compress yeah. it and then uh fill it up with like a gain of function research uh, do gain of function research on it yeah. and that's yeah. the atmosphere of the the left on covid it's just yeah. insane so I, you know, Jimmy and me were talking and I I feel like I helped him crystallize what he was going through. And he is just honest. He's just an honest person. He's honest enough to say this is fucked up and this shouldn't be happening. It shouldn't be forced on people. And he just took it upon himself to do night after night of breaking down the COVIDian lies. Uh, And he he brought me on. uh, I mean – in the beginning, night after night, and we you know, were kind of like a one, two combination. And I think that started playing playing a role in, in um, affecting the lockdown left sense of confidence. And what happened, what I noticed, and of, of course, there were so many people that came before us who laid the basis for everything and Absolutely. who probably did a better job of breaking down the COVIDian narrative. Um, but Jimmy has a million subscribers on YouTube and yeah. he had like, he has like a, he has a team of people. He consults at YouTube on how he can talk about, he's one of the few people allowed to talk about COVID on mm-hmm. YouTube because That's wild. he, he has so many subscribers. They're willing to work with him.
2: Sure. On wow. this. It's
3: like how Kim Iverson can say what she says on the Hill because the was yeah.
2: yeah. treated
3: well by YouTube. So other people couldn't. So it was just an opportunity. Okay. Yeah. And we did it. We took it. And what happened was so many people turned on me in the most insane ways possible. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. we're talking about like some of my, some of the, my the closest people to me. Yeah. turned on me, but they could never face me directly. Uh-huh. They could never yeah. say None of them said one word to me privately and none of them would debate me. Yeah. Well, that's exactly what happened to... It was like, the most cowardly shit I ever saw. Yeah, that's like of the course. Sam Harris. It's a cowardly
1: take, so why not go about it's it in exactly, the most cowardly yeah. way? I mean, straight that's, up. That's the Sam Harris-Joe Rogan thing, too. You know, that's his whole thing is... I love that arc, too. Of, like, him just talking shit. Not, like, texting his friends or whatever, Sam Harris, but just calling him out on his pop- podcast or whatever. And I just wanted to say, too, that I love the... I love the tool of even mildly critiquing chomsky as like a that's like a dividing line between you can know if you're talking to a real one or not what some people just cannot critique chomsky under any circumstances and it's like what the fuck is that about you know and it's and it's like the second he's talking about like well they need to figure out how they get their own food if they're unvaccinated and we put them into camps like it's like yo are you like that's like a line in the fucking sand for me dude like i don't know so yeah no and i and you cannot accuse, accuse Jimmy Dore of being like when he's on something, he's on it and he will not back yeah. down. So And he's yeah.
0: funny about it, too. He still finds yeah. a way to be funny. Like, like that's mm-hmm. why I I respect that a lot, because, you know, you you have like, yeah, I mean, getting back to like the, you know, with, with the left on this, like for me, like I, you know, I, I went through an entire political journey, in, like from like 2019 to now, like an entire like lifetime of politics, I feel like where I'm just like, oh, that. That's cool, I got student loan debt. Like, let's let's see what's going on there, you know. Like, like let's, let's see what's going on. I tried to organize a union at a at a company once, like, that's that's pretty cool. Um, and then all you know, I remember for a while, like you know, him and I we have drastic takes on a lot of other <laughs> vaccines besides this one. So, like, you know, we, we would dip our toe, and there were a lot of people that were really, really passionate on the left about they were they were they would say that like you know they were just really passionate about pharmaceuticals in general they would just get mad about the accessibility okay that's fine yeah i think i think a lot of this stuff should be accessible to everybody like that's i i but i mean then the mandates come and it's like we we get back to the to the to the nazi stuff that we were talking about it's like okay you guys are carrying the water for bill gates who does like goebbels level stuff and um and uh, you know all this gross stuff in third in the global south and all that. And then you know you have you, you're you're a proponent of a Klaus Schwab Society who is a direct descendant of a Nazi and all that stuff. And you feel like this is somehow the the way the the pathway to get to you know what you want this this ultra epic like Reddit communism, which I, I just don't I don't see that coming. And they use that as like this this dollar bill they can dangle on a fishing pole for you to like reach at where it's like, here, take this vaccine where that we're this much closer to this. And to me, I just reject the entire framework now. You know, it's like I've soured so much on the left. And and like, yeah, I don't know.
3: (laughs) I mean, when we talk about the left, like what are we talking about? I think we're, we're talking about the organized left. So like and 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 that and it doesn't mean the democratic party although it's so similar so often when yeah. i think of the left i think of like this alphabet soup of tiny socialist parties like sectarian little parties that really know in the end that they are not going to bring about a socialist revolution 100% and so they'll settle for something that resembles socialism vaguely that actually is maybe at best a uh, progressive interpretation of the Great Reset. And if you actually read if you actually read the Great Reset, yeah. reads it's like a long and boring Jacobin article. That's <laughs> yeah. what Klaus Schwab's writing really feels like. They use the
0: buzzwords, they know who their target audience is. Yeah. yeah. Klaus
3: Schwab blurbed Naomi Klein's book. Uh what, what was it? Her book doctrine? on uh, her book on the climate. No, no, no. The shock doctrine oh. was actually. A good book. COVID is the shock doctrine. I know, but what she's she's yeah. like a, co- a COVIDian boutique left. She's like the left hand of the great reset. Like uh, they all like?
0: It just doesn't seem like a natural trajectory. Like, just take that next step, man. Just take that yeah. next step. Like, like just follow follow the breadcrumbs, yeah. man. It's there. No, just, just take that next thing. step
3: and, and lose all your friends and like piss off everybody around yeah. you because you know everybody. So many people around me were like uh, lockdown leftists. Uh, and what what I mean, where I was going with this was I wanted to say two things like, um, number one, it's just a personal issue for me. A lot of this is personal. I mean, the politics is personal. That's kind of what drew me into the left. Mm -hmm. In general, it's just my own personal experience. And, you know, one thing I experienced, I grew up in Washington, DC in the 80s and 90s, it was a black city, I grew up in a mostly black area. And I experienced, I did experience a lot of police repression, uh, harassment constantly. The cops thought I was like uh, buying drugs if I was driving around there because there weren't that many white people driving around in Ward uh, Four, DC. And they would always, you know, harass me, pull me over. We, me and my uh, friend of mine, who was also white, we'd get arrested just all the time, like, 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 like repeatedly, just for driving around our neighborhood. And then if we had our you know, any black friends in the car, we just get pulled over, taken out, searched, you know, they'd like, the cops would like search our grundle, like, you know, play with, they'd like, they'd put their, like their hands up there Mm. I, I was uh, a cop right. held me a gunpoint once cause I reached for my registration too fast. Yeah. We were pulled over for no reason while we were returning a video to blockbuster, you know, cause I, I that's how old I am.
2: I
0: was going to say um, yeah, age docs. Yeah. <laughs> I remember putting up, yeah, exactly.
3: I put up my hands and I was like, don't shoot. And he had his Glock yeah. pointed at my chest. And then he proceeded <laughs> to slam my friend on the hood of the car Put his uh, cuffs on him while I was just standing there, like, "What the hell is going on?" He just threw him in jail for. And wait, I, wait.
1: what movie were were you returning? No, I'm just kidding. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm
3: just yeah, saying. I was returning Crash. No, yeah, sorry. Yeah. yeah, Crash. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just returning yeah.
0: some videotapes, like Patrick Bateman. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
2: uh, <laughs> the
3: point is, so so police brutality for me, and the George Floyd stuff, and all of that, mm-hmm. Eric Garner, everything for me, it wasn't about being part of the left. For me, it was just about me really not liking the cops because of what they did to me and my friends. That same friend who was arrested, he uh, wound up being beaten by Yonkers PD uh, in the craziest incident where he did nothing and they handcuffed him, pepper sprayed him, three cops just beating him with nightsticks. And then he was charged with uh, 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 assaulting an officer. He couldn't leave the country for years. He was put on trial. I mean, it was insane. I, I can tell you so many stories like this. And that's what kind of brought me into the left was just that feeling of a a hatred of, of unjust authority. Right. And, and, and I, and I believed in civil liberties. And so COVID comes along, I have my own personal experiences with the medical system. I don't Mm. really care to divulge them. Like now, maybe someday I'll tell the story, but I've been, I feel like I've been used as a profit center for big pharma and Mm. not voluntarily, basically, you know, thinking i was like i had to like save my life um and so i was immediately suspicious when the discussion of a vaccine that's going to vaccinate our way out of the pandemic and it's, it's experimental uh gene therapy yeah. mrna that's never been used before mm-hmm. and i thought well it should be a choice and people shouldn't be fired for this and i'm going to stand with workers on, i'm on the left like stand for yeah. workers rights workers don't want to get a gene therapy workers of the world unite yeah. causes myocarditis Oh no, that's a right-wing position. So for me, it was a personal position. It wasn't about the left. Uh, even my, my, you know, I did two books on Palestine for five years. I worked on that issue. That was personal too. It was about being Jewish. Like I was raised Jewish in Washington, DC, and they told you, you know, you've got to be a Zionist. You got to support this little apartheid state a few thousand miles away. Um, and there's some Brown people there who are terrorists. And, you know, that provokes certain questions. So for me, there was never any, I was raised, of course, in liberalism, like liberalism was everything, liberal education, right. like, you know, multiculturalism, all of those things are part of it. But, but the left or the radical left or, or the socialist left, like, I just kind of gravitated into that without knowing it or thinking i never just got up and said you know i read some marks today and i want to yeah. be a socialist I, mm-hmm. i've been reading a lot of theory and this is who <laughs> i am and i'm gonna wear a red star and like yeah, yeah. as socialists like yeah. every jacobin article ends like as socialists we need to do this <laughs> and we need as socialists yeah like that was never me so yeah. it was it, I, I was surrounded by people like that though who found this identity in mm-hmm. it and when i took this position that it was a personal issue for me that my medical decision should be made by me, and I should have the freedom to do it. And you know, I should have informed consent. And I believe in you know, my body, my choice, all that shit. When I asserted that, those people told me that I am a right winger. Yeah, you're right. This is right wing. Yeah, and uh, things will never be the same. I mean, they Which, and they they're, they're yeah. lucky, man. They're lucky for this war because their yeah. position was just completely huh, yeah massive. they can drop
0: it like nothing man and and like i i thought it was to me like i when i deal with like people who are just like ardent communists and stuff i'm like you know what that's that's fine you've done well i'm more reading on it than i have like whatever that is what it is but like for me i'm like okay you guys really want like i because i've seen certain people like say like we should do door-to-door injections we should do like i've seen psychotic stuff and i'm like yeah,
2: blow darts. yeah yeah, okay. yeah.
0: Put yeah. uh, release it in the water. Put it in the food supply. Some famous, one of the famous most socialist podcasts uh, out there have said that before, and uh, the you know all, all that kind of stuff. But like to me, I'm like, are you not an American? Like, are, are you not like? I'm sorry, we're the, like I'm doing the Randy Marsh. Like the, this is America thing. Yeah. But like, like
2: <laughs> are you not an are, like are you not an American? Like, do you truly
0: not value like just like basic freedom like at all? Like I like that's such a LARP to me. And like, I, I these these are the people who like want to deplatform speech that they don't like and all that stuff. But it's like it always seems to just kind of barely walk side by side, maybe a little tangentially, with just straight up neoliberalism. Yeah, like, and, and it's also, like yeah, Marx, I don't
1: know. Marx was pro body autonomy too. That's the thing. Like for anyone who's like pro Marxist, yeah. pro communist, you know, pro vaccine mandate. What is it thing that at the? I'm not on Reddit much, but I've used a few subreddits, one of them being Lockdown Critical Left, and I haven't right up here. Um, the pinned top thing for like a year or two has been Marx on Freedom of the Press, 1842. Is not death more desirable than life? That is a mere preventative measurement against death. Does not life involve also free movement? Right. And it's like, so there's just no if Marx would, even if you're invoking Marx, he would not be down with this shit, you know? And even if it, even if he was, I wouldn't care. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, who's that guy? Yeah. Who yeah, Yeah, but that's exactly. my perspective on it. But, yeah. yeah,
3: yeah. I don't know if you've ever listened to Red Star Radio, but mm-hmm. I would, yeah. I would recommend. Yeah, yeah it's, anyone listening to this should should check out. I think it there's out. some crossover. We yeah. got a little crossover here, yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah, definitely. Sure I, I mean, you know, yeah. it's a home for for I think a lot of left people who feel politically homeless because of the whole COVID issue and the, and Canadian as well too. Yeah. 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 Uh, Layla Metruy and Alexander McKay. I mean, they're friends of mine and they, they actually try to take on the theory of Marxism and like, actually flip it on the heads of the lockdown leftists who identify as socialists or Marxists. And like, they, they constantly make the point that Lenin was always writing about freedom as an ideal as the ideal. Yeah. But I'm not going to – I just – I'm not, I'm not going to bother going down that road of theory. Yeah, and, just, my,
1: and my whole thing is, okay, you know, all these theory leftists or whatever have been on the wrong side of COVID and all the chuds magically have been correct. You know what's that about? You know, there's something there that's really interesting. Well, oh, just the
0: basic choice of your bot. I mean, it's, that, like, it's like, yeah, you could like. I'm sorry, if I see where you're like, okay, do you want this experimental gene therapy mRNA shot where a bunch of monkeys died during the during the testing, um, about all that stuff? Do you want this shot or not? And if somebody pulls out a book. I'm like, yeah, okay, you lost. Like you lost. <laughs> Like, like, what do you want? You know what I mean? What do you want? This is a basic decision. Yeah, you, you haven't read thing. the books, bro. You haven't yeah. Read the books. yeah, The guy just on that I, ladder, those like big library ladders, he swings over to those little marks. <laughs> like, yeah, just, hang on, I got Baku- something over
3: here. Yeah, uh, Baku- Bakunin on why myocarditis yeah. <laughs> is socialist. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. No, it's because you they have yeah, to dude. fit. They fit everything into like this intellectual Procrustean bed. That doesn't to the point where they can't actually listen to themselves, think independently or critically. And all of these socialist organizations have like leadership and these little kind of in-house intellectuals that everyone is supposed to look up to. And they decide they decided what the line was on COVID. Yeah. Uh, And they decided it. The line came in for some of these organizations after the narrative had completely collapsed and the ruling class had basically given up on it. And some of them were like, well, we just need to do what yeah. China's doing after like Omicron had infected everyone. <laughs> they're like, yeah. we need to put everyone on lockdown.
0: Yeah. yeah. What is China doing? They just stopped. Te- I mean, they just like, we're like, we're done. Like, as what I mean. Like, essentially, like, I mean, China in their own yeah. sense, like, they're, they, they have parts of it that are interesting, but a lot of China, they weren't testing asymptomatic people for a long time. Like, I mean, it's like, we, we, they, the leftists didn't even know what they were doing over there half the time. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's insane to me. And I, I guess, uh, you know, I guess my last question of the night for you um, is where, like, can there be a, like a like a left, right? And, let, you know, some people say fake left. We do it with the PF, like Pfizer. Like, some people say that. <laughs> but, like, you know, the left to a lot of people is just the left. Like, right? So we're talking about a left. Can there be after this can there be an actual thing that still has the name the left and be for workers for bodily autonomy for civil liberties can that still happen because you know you see even these people like they'll be I'm anti-imperialist okay why didn't you ha- give a, a peep on john magafule right getting taken out in tanzania like why didn't you mm. why didn't you even utter a peep on that right i saw oh,
3: i saw leftists mocking his death even yep. yeah
0: yep yeah, he was killing his own people without locking for not locking down. Even though they did yeah. even though when you look at the numbers, that's not exactly true. You know what I mean? But like yeah. can there I guess what I'm saying is is can there be can there be like a left after this? Or does it have to just swing towards like a populist manner, like a more just populist manner, maybe a different term or something? Because I think that term the left is just ugh, it like makes me shiver a little bit now after these last
3: couple of years. Man. I, I wish I had thought about this beforehand. Nah, well, I, I just thought of it now. So yeah. Actually, It's a, it's a hell of a question. I mean, I actually have been thinking about it constantly. I talk about it with a lot of friends and, you know, so I've, I mean, there's like, there've been like two, there's been a fork in the road socially and politically for me with people where some people adhered to the COVIDian narrative turned on me or gave me a cold shoulder, never said a word to me, never would debate me. Um, and behaved in some of them to be just behaved in despicable ways. And then, you know, other people who did talk to me about it were open about it. And I feel like we became closer and the discussion that we constantly have is, you know, to it, it's, it's based around your question and mm-hmm. whether there's a place for us in what is considered the left. And there are so many of these people that I know that they will coalesce somewhere else. And I think they are representative of a brain drain in the left that the left has become so oppressive and so hostile to any independent or critical thinking that complicates the objectives of the like influencers who dominate it and the followers who just act like a parrot jungle and just repeat, received wisdom without thinking about it or who can't just like listen to their hearts like the trumpers on covid Mm -hmm. (laughs) or or, i mean i don't even know if they're the trumpers just like a lot of just just, a lot of normies like middle class normies i know like did their own research and realized they're not on board Mm -hmm. they can't do that it's partly and they they need that identity so badly to be in the left those other people i think are more courageous more critical and more critically critical minded and more willing to join forces with the actual masses
2: mm-hmm.
3: who may not uphold all of the, not all, all of the same, you know, cultural tendencies that we consider enlightened. Um, and, you know, it was actually impressive or, or um, reassuring to see how much left support there was or support there was among individual leftists I know for the Canadian truckers. They were willing to overlook the, you know, we're supposed to look down at patriotism or displays of nationalism um, or large groups of white people. (laughs) And they just overlooked all that and saw what it was really about and how these people were actually standing in the way of a v- extremely dangerous agenda, which is global technocracy, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I think, a component of, of imperialism. So there, there, there are so many people who tell me they feel politically homeless, who are asking this question that Glenn, you asked mm-hmm. it. You know, is there a place for the? Is there actually a left? And I don't know where they're going to wind up, but yeah. there are enough of them to give me some to give me some hope. But I just don't really care if there is a, a, a left or not in the yeah. US. I, yeah. I I wanted to say another thing, which is like with the it's interesting watching a lot of, you know, hardcore anti imperialists react to the Russian intervention in Ukraine. Yeah. Um, the it, it kind of reminds it, it, it kind of reminds me of their positions they've taken on, on COVID. And these are also again, people who participate in organized left uh, factions uh, where there's like a leadership and a line and like there's all these zoom calls like <laughs> they, they're constantly on zoom calls and you know if you diverge from the line then you are a pariah you're kicked out yeah, yeah and they were so terrified of what putin did i mean they were shocked and they all feel like so many of them have to issue these flamboyant denunciations of it in order to appear in public or maintain their reputation. It doesn't Putin doesn't care what we think in America. Obviously, Russia doesn't Mm -hmm. care. We can't and we have no power to affect Russia or Putin. We can only Mm -hmm. affect our own government. So what is the point of doing that? But they're they're all doing it. And at the same time they're calling to abolish and end NATO. So I feel horrible. I feel horrible about all the Ukrainian civilians who've been killed, who will be killed. It's gonna get ugly. I want the war to end now but what Putin is doing is getting up in NATO's face yeah. and giving it the finger I mean and smashing it in the face maybe it's it's actually going to work out well for NATO I mean that is a debate that needs to be had but how do these people think NATO is going to be abolished or ended or rolled back yeah like what's going to uh-huh. happen that's yeah. Is it going to be ended through Zoom meetings and <laughs> tweets and podcasts? Yeah, I don't think so.
1: Uh,
0: yeah, I mean, <laughs> okay. do think about- What do you think we're doing, Ben? We're yeah, <laughs> NATO. yeah. What are you trying to say yeah.
3: no. Yeah. If we just you know enough people <laughs> listen to us, and we organize enough college students yeah. like AOC <laughs> supporters.
0: Yeah, um, yeah the dude. correct line. Then we need NATO's a fifteen dollars gonna... minimum wage in Ukraine. Is what we need. Uh, yeah. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. Ubi. UBS yes. the U stands for Ukrainian basic, yeah, the, Ukrainian basic income. Ukrainian basic income. So it's not about it's not about support I support Putin and the, you know, cheer for the Russian intervention. It's just about recognizing reality that yeah. the future of NATO will be decided by force, whether it's military force or financial force. Um, that's how this transition is coming about. And it's funny to just or or it's revealing to see people just un- so unable to stomach that reality who say day in and day out that NATO needs to be destroyed
0: yeah mm-hmm. Well, because a lot of their ideas are in theory, right? Like, it's just like, in theory, I want this to happen. In theory, I want this to happen. However, you know, when it's time to actually make a decision, when it's time to, yeah oh, well, I'm just going to yeah. do that thing that, I don't know, I didn't watch, but it's on CNN, and that's the thing I did, right? Like, it's the exact same talking point. What I've noticed from a lot of leftists is that they are so scared to even be, I mean, and you, you've encountered this with your COVID stuff, was like, you know, to just be associated with anything right wing in the slightest yep, is yep, like yep. is, is worse than anything. It's worse than anything Ukraine could be doing. It's worse than anything. It's just, I, if I'm associated with the right wing, that's it, which I'm sorry, that's, that's liberalism in my, in my point. That, that's you have the, you've adopted what these most staunch liberals believe is just being so scared of the right wing when in reality, someone like me, I was organizing a union at a company a long time ago, and there it was there were right wingers in it with me. I'm sorry. Like there just were like these were people that realized what was best for them. And then, um, you know, for me, I go to work tomorrow. I'm going to be working with a couple guys that have Trump stickers on their truck. It's going to happen. And I'm in California like it's going to happen. And the fact that they're so scared to even just like not even extend an olive, olive branch, but even just coexist with these people and just maybe find a little bit of a common ground is, is such a red flag to me that I am kind of just like, well, you know what, if there is a left, I mean, it's just going to be like a, a, like I said, it's going to be liberalism with a distortion pedal that just has like some maybe cooler, (laughs) cooler, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like that, that's what, that uh, that might be what ends up happening. Like, and so, you know, at the end of the day, like I just say like, man, like make the decision that's best for you. You, I I understand. I think most people know what's best for them. I just think they're scared of the association that comes with making that decision. And uh, so, yeah
3: that's a great point i mean liberalism with the distortion pedal what we see is in times of crisis whether it's this war or uh you know which affects right i mean most americans don't care about it right now but they'll feel it in terms of higher gas prices and food prices yeah. europe is europe is fucked but uh they the the left the people who really i see themselves as left is in a crisis they default to the liberal consensus
2: mm-hmm.
3: because whenever there's a crisis, there's this fear that the fascists are going to take over somehow. Yeah. That, that that means like at the end of every election cycle, the third party candidate has to be disappeared and everybody needs to just vote for the Democrat that we hate because the fascists will take over.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So that's the role that fascism plays is is disciplining, domesticating and neutering the left so that it always defaults to liberalism. Mm-hmm. And then you you just, you look at, I mean, you also made another good point, which is um, about theory. How, how so many of these, so many, uh, increasingly, I see so many people in really invo- deeply immersed in left organizing whose lives are kind of like a theory. Yeah. <laughs> like before the lockdown, many people, like you have this laptop class whose lives were on lockdown. Yeah. So the lockdown just formalized their life as it was justified their sedentary kind of morbid shut in lifestyle and paid them to do it. So they just were having the time of their lives and they create a, um, persona online that's very different from the person in real life who's much more aggressive and bolder. and may even have a different name and that's the person they want to be. But when war or crisis comes, that fades away. The, the, the simulacra, the, yeah. the persona, and it just all gets boiled down to the cold, hard reality and it terrifies the shit out of them. Yeah. So what kind of change can those kind of people actually affect? That's why I distinguished like the socialists of Donbass from the socialists of like the Bernie movement is those people get out in the physical world with rifles and affect the change, the change they need to see, which is independent sovereignty fighting for their, for their nation Mm -hmm. and their families. Um, that's what like Russell Bentley always talks about Russell Bentley, who fought with the Nova Russian army in the, um, essence of time battalion it's a battalion named for a communist faction called essence of time uh, which is a russian communist party and he said you know he he was he would go to these socialist meetings in the u.s and it was just a joke to him and Uh you know he found the real socialist reality on the battlefield there i'm not saying that's my ideal
1: yeah 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 yeah
3: but, but it's, it's very it's alienating. Yeah. But it's their
0: LARP, you know what I mean? It's like yeah, it's these it's people's LARP, LARP. Yeah, yeah. So it's like you know, do it if you're gonna do it. Like, let me see it. Like, I I need. I'm not personally an organizer, but if I see something that I like, I'll jump on. You know what I mean? I'll jump on. I'll promote it. We have a, a okay audience, I guess. Like we, well, we'll, yeah. we'll promote it and stuff. But I don't see any of that. I just see retracting into like a turtle shell of like l- liberalism. Like on just, that note, yeah. I, I got to
1: ask you guys, what do you think about the? Like the Reddit bros signing up for the Ukrainian army, going halfway across the world. What do you think about this whole? Is that real? Is that? Hey, like at least they, at least they're living it. Yeah, like, yeah, know, if that's ever, the
0: case. I, Yeah, it's probably. I just smile. I've
1: seen a lot of like you know cringe posts on,
3: but you know I don't know what's up with that, but yeah. Yeah, I think a lot of it is like might be fake just to encourage people to yeah. to sign yeah. up, yeah. and uh, you know maybe they should do it because uh, they probably won't come back, and I don't really want. Uh, yeah, I don't yeah, want them in my, yeah, them in my yeah, space. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, just handle that, bud. Yeah, I'll be here. I'm <laughs> chilling. Yeah, handle that. Go
3: run yeah. at a T90 tank with. Uh, yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, handle it. Well, man, I, re- I really appreciate.
0: I really appreciate you coming on, man. Like that was that was uh that was a really good yeah, talk. That was fun. Um, Thank you. Yeah, so much. that was fun. You have to you have to come back on sometime. um Let everyone know where they can find you and and find your work in case. I'm sure most of our audience knows already, but just just in case.
3: Well, they can. They, everybody knows where to find me, except in real life. So, oh yeah, that's the point. That's uh, point. Just look up my name, and you'll see stuff. And you'll see like uh, my Wikipedia page is like a col- like a collection of insane smears. Um, cool. I'm on t- I'm on Twitter and thegrayzone.com, and you know we have a YouTube channel, the Gray Zone. Just search the Gray Zone. We have yeah, some really great. good good live streams. Uh, And oh yeah, Rockfin.
2: Mm-hmm. Just look oh, up yeah. my
3: name on Rockfin. It, that's like where all the Covid related stuff is. Yeah, yeah. and, and, and uh, I'm gonna try to have Jeremy on soon. Jeremy Lafredo. He's Please. embedded he's embedded with the u s. trucker convoy. Yeah. and I meant to I meant to mention this. I meant to mention this. That sounds weird after talking for an hour and a half. Um, I was <laughs> yeah. just I think i I, I, t- I told you, Glenn before we were recording, but uh, I was just on Capitol Hill here in d c. And there was a giant NYPD bus for prisoners, like a prisoner bus Mm -hmm. and NYPD and national guard in the streets and national guard trucks. And like, there are bulldozers there. And I talked to an NYPD officer. I'm going to tweet out the video in a second. And it was wild. It was like, I, I felt like I was in New York talking to him. He was like, I said, why are you here? And he's like, well, we're here for the state of the union and the trucker convoy. It's called the people's convoy. (laughs) <laughs> and I said, are they a national security threat or something? And he's like, no, basically, uh, uh, we're gonna, they're going to stop them before they get into the city. But we'll, we think a few might break through and slip in. So we're here for that. And I was thinking like, okay, I thought the people's convoy was going to come to D.C. and have a peaceful protest with like a few thousand people at best and then just go away. But it sounds like you're describing some kind of January 6th style trap. Mm. and why is the nypd in washington dc like the whole thing was so wild yeah so i definitely am gonna i'm gonna talk to jeremy at rockfin about that hopefully soon so check check out absolutely check out my stream and 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 thanks again i mean i found out about your show i think i found out about it through jeremy
0: that would make sense yeah yeah. i've been listening
3: ever since i've got a lot of friends into it one friend of mine was like i like these guys uh they don't do they're not like all like I, ironic all the time, like Chapo. Like
0: I don't. I I'm all completely <laughs> earnest. Like it's like it's not a character. I hate it. I hate it. But yeah. yeah. So I, I I appreciate it. Thank you for spreading the word. Um, for us, he's at Crypto Sci, I'm at Glenn Rockney. The podcast is at Rare Candy Pod One. If you're here for Max, I hope you stick around for the other stuff. And uh, um, I have a show, uh, a sports show, unrelated to this. Uh, it's called Patriot. It's uh, called The Back Wall Patreon.com slash The Back Wall. We watch old sports games and talk about the time that it took place and all that kind of stuff. And uh, yeah, listen to Car Crash too. Shout out to my guys, Car Crash.
2: Yeah. All right. <laughs> all right, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, Max. All right, thanks, Max. I appreciate it. Thanks a lot.